theorizing that Quantum Leap would hold up after 30 years, two friends set out to watch every episode and vanished. Oh boy. It's the pilot of Quantum Leap. And into a pilot, Sam does leap. He cannot fly a plane. Oh boy! Featuring Kristen and Leet. Yeah! yeah! Welcome to... Oh boy, boy it's, it's Kristen, Kristen and Leet. I'm Kristen. I'm Leet. And we just watched episode one, part one of Quantum Leap. Yeah, this is a whole new podcast thing we're trying. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. Before we get into anything, do you want to, should we do an introduction of ourselves? Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, you go first. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, my name's Lee Stetson. I uh, am an actor and comedian and stuff around Toronto. I have another podcast called The Pitch Off Project, on which Kristen has appeared several times. Yeah. And that's about it. I just, I just, I'm a big fan of Quantum Leap. I uh, used to watch it in syndication when I was a kid, and then uh, it stopped being available on TV, and so I haven't seen it in probably a number of years, and now I'm sharing it with my friend Kristen for the first time. Yeah, uh, so I'm the friend in question named Kristen. I mean, I'm an artist, a musician, performer. At the moment, I just uh, I, I do a podcast, and uh, and I and and yeah, that's that's my life right now, and this podcast now. And you wrote a um, book. I can't talk about that publicly because well, we're well, gonna have to cut that. Out. No, we'll just leave it at that. You wrote a book that no one will ever know you wrote. I wrote a book. <laughs> no one will know about. It's uh, one of the great tragedies of my life, my young life, but um. Let's see, I have a podcast called On a Dark Cold Night, which is probably the most opposite from this podcast, as, as you can get. It's a, a horror fiction podcast that I write and perform every week. It's for sleepy times. It's for sleepy times. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to creep you out and put you to sleep. That's about it right now. <laughs> yeah. Check us out on social media anyway. Oh, uh, also, I have never seen Quantum Leap until today. Uh, I ha I knew it knew about it vaguely through like you know your typical um, yeah because you're a references nerd. yeah I'm a nerd so I I have a general knowledge of these kind of things um, so yeah okay so uh, I don't know general first impressions of the the entire oeuvre that we just experienced oh boy okay um, it's funny because I say oh boy naturally anyway so every time I do it you're gonna have to not assume that I'm deliberately making a pun but... or drink. Um, my general impressions of this show, um, well, I mean, I love it. It's very of its time, and so it, it has that nice sort of nostalgic sheen to it. That uh, Actually, so this was 89, right? Yeah, it launched in 89. Yeah, which is uh, the year I was born, so oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, Bacula is an interesting guy to spend this much time with. Yeah. Um, as, as your leading man, I do like him a lot. We'll get more into that in detail later, but, um, it was fun. It was fun. Silly. Yeah. It's silly to look back on something like this from where we are now. So. Yeah. It's a very silly show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Um, so I guess, yeah, let's dive right into it. We watched uh, the first part of the first episode. As I said, I think it's a it was a feature-length pilot that then afterwards they went and split into two parts for right. syndication. So we watched the first half of the pilot called Genesis Part 1. Yeah. And what a pilot indeed. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he's a pilot. <laughs> okay, so yes, in this episode, uh, okay, oh, wait, maybe people haven't actually know even less than you do about Quantum Leap. So Quantum Leap is a science fiction show um, How dare you. in which um, Dr. Sam Beckett uh, trades places with people in history uh, and, and then has to live in their shoes for a time. To be fair... At this point, we don't know that he's a doctor yet. We don't. He's, we just know he's Sam. We don't even know his last name yet. Yeah. So, say we're people who are just hanging out in yeah. 1989. We don't know all that mm-hmm. yet. So, it's kind of like everybody's in the same boat as me anyway, if you yeah. don't know Quantum Leap. But well, if you watch the uh, kind of the, the cold open, the uh, the part that happens no. before um, before we go back in time... Uh, we see that he is in a lab. He's wearing a white jumpsuit <laughs> that's very eighties. Yes. Um, and we. I thought see... he was naked when it, when <laughs> when the lights are kind of like he's backlit. Yeah. I was like, oh shit! Like that guy's just fully naked. and very Dude. white, very pale. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the episode opens. We're in future times. Uh, we see Al. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Dean Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Who, the whole episode I'm I'm watching and I'm like trying to like at the same time look at his IMDB for the third time over and over because I know I know him and I don't know where I know him from. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be the challenge over the course of this podcast is going to be to figure out how I know Dean Stockwell. Mm-hmm. Anyway, carry on. Um, uh, Al is driving a very fast future car mm-hmm. uh, and he comes across a woman yeah, with the light-up earrings. Light-up earrings and light-up heels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he pulls over. She's got a flat tire, and he uh, decides to flirt with her in a really aggressive way. Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll get to women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the the recurring theme of women in this show. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We're Yeah, we're in the future where cars are super fast, and our earrings and our heels light up, but you can still get stuck with a flat tire on the mm-hmm. country road. Seems a little weird. Yeah. Anyway. It's also like a little weird. We kind of don't know how future this is. Yeah. Because it's, if you think about the timeline here, it seems to be kind of, I mean, present day as of 1989, because, I mean, again, spoilers, but I, I know from my experience with the show, I think Sam Beckett was born in 1955. And so that's as far back as he can leap to. Mm. And so he can't be much older than 34 in this show, can he? No. No. Yeah. So it doesn't, it seems like it's not really the future. It's just a futuristic present. I guess so. Yeah. Like, the, like, so, so you're saying the show takes place in pretty much. Yeah. At least the, the, the future parts, I'm doing that in air quotes. The future mm-hmm. parts of the show can't be much later than when the show itself takes place. Unless that was just a huge oversight. Yeah. On Donald P. Belisario's part. Oh, Donald. <laughs> Donald. <laughs> oh, we can't just call him Donald because that's a whole other thing. That's where we're ending, just on Trump. Yeah, that's, that's, the, we'll see you next week with the next episode. <laughs> no, um, yeah, okay. So, anyway, that's a weird thing. 
We're going to have to put a pin in that for later and try and figure out when the future part is. Yeah, you're right, though. It does seem like logically it, it shouldn't be much later than that because he yeah. did say in this that he was... He said that he was born in 55? Um, I think that's my own knowledge coming into it. Oh, okay. But... Well, um, yeah, because the he says his dad should be alive when... Yeah. Okay. In this episode, Leap, Sam leaps back to 1956. Mm-hmm. And he says that his dad dies in 1974. Okay. Well, so at the very least, what we know for sure mm -hmm. is that Sam can't have been born after 74. For sure. Which means that the future cannot be that distant. Yeah, just for our own sakes, we know that the future cannot be, you know, it's not like the year 2525. Yeah, no. Um, if man is still alive. Yeah. If woman can survive, which this show has a lot to say about. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, let's let's get into it. If we go chronologically, it's just that he wakes up one morning and uh, is next to a woman that he doesn't recognize and a little boy that he doesn't know and finds out that he has somehow jumped into the body of a fighter pilot. Uh, yeah, Tom Stratton. The first thing that I wrote down in my notes, which I take back immediately, is that I, I think it's funny that we have our leading man, Scott Bakula, who to me, as I said, kind of just looks like this like old man even though he's a young man i don't know why he just kind of is one of those guys who kind of looks like a broom like <laughs> like, like he's yeah. a good looking man i'm not i'm not sure yeah. to put him down and he goes like, like a broomy kind of look about him he's he's like he's shirtless <laughs> for a significant part of this episode and like he's he's got like a good physique he's not oh, like yeah. present day ripped but he's like 1989 ripped oh yeah yeah like he's hunky mm -hmm. but like but a little moppish, yeah. <laughs> kind of moppish, like with these big old eyebrows and like, anyway. Um, no problem with that. But when he looks in the mirror and sees Tom, mm -hmm. um, I was surprised at first because I was like, well, Tom is like like a supermodel. Like, but, Oh, really? But then when I saw Tom in the car mirror, I was like, no, nah, it was just that angle in the shower. Oh, that's funny. I had the opposite reaction where I thought like when, when we see them in the mirror and they both are wearing shaving cream and I feel like they could have found an actor that looks like more different from Scott Bakula. You know what I mean? Like, they definitely should have, yeah, made more of a variance between the two. Yeah. But then, but then when you see him in the car mirror, I'm like, Oh, they do actually look quite different. It's just they hid that fact by covering them both in shaving cream. Which, yeah, you're right. That was an interesting choice. If the point in that moment, us having no idea what's going on yet, mm -hmm. what we are supposed to have is this moment of, like, that's not actually him. Yeah. But it was quite hard to tell. Um, but until, like, we get the dialogue of, like, his wife comes in and he says, who do you see in the mirror? And then you're like, oh, I guess they're supposed to be different. Yeah. I, I did think um, we're going to see a lot of mirror gags in this show. And, oh, and sure. the way they accomplish that is having, like, it's not a mirror, it's a pane of glass. And they have the lookalike standing on the other side of the glass. And I thought that this was a pretty uh, interesting one because we had Scott Bakula and a double for Peg the wife in the foreground. Oh, and then yeah. a mirror. And then the the uh, Tom Stratton and the actress playing the actual wife in behind the glass. And I thought it was a pretty clever um, mirror gag. And pretty ambitious for the first attempt at it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I guess because I'm in the time I am now, um, I don't even clock things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just like, oh, I'm like, yeah, we're in sure a post that's Birdman universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting, and I wonder if it sucks for the guy, for for whoever they cast in every episode to be the person whose body um, 
Sam has to inhabit because it's like it's always going to be a silent on camera role. Like, yeah. They're never going to see that yeah. sweet, sweet talking money. But um, I mean, I'm sure it's a gig, right? Like. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm, I wouldn't complain. Like, yeah. I would. I would take that money for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, now we'll have a moment of like sad actor sighing. Uh, <laughs> like, oh, doubles. Well, also, this is one that I noticed. I there was a lot of voiceover narration in this one where um yeah. where Sam is narrating his own thoughts. I don't think that's something that continues on the show, and I have to say, thank God, <laughs> because that is it. Really dates this show for sure, if nothing else does. But I guess how else do they do that, right? Do they show what's happened? Because he has to wake up and be like, where am I? What's going on? That's not me. But who can he like? That's true. Like we have to have that, but it's really tacky. Yeah, it's real tacky. <laughs> and also I suppose because I don't know if you know this, it's based on a series of novels. No. Um, and so like, I mean, obviously novels, you, it's it's not a thing to have first person voiceover narration. Yeah. Um, so, so as yeah. someone who has written a novel, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, or maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe they have it all the way through the show, but it's not something I remember. That'll be interesting to kind of clock as we go. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but then we wouldn't get the great line. If this is a nightmare, there's going to be a boogeyman. Sooner or later. I wrote that down too. <laughs> Sooner or later, there's going to be a boogeyman. And also, like, I love because at first, like. As with all all kind of body swap movies, the first theory the protagonist gets is like, oh, I'm dreaming. And then he wakes up, uh, or he, he gets up and he starts puttering around the house with his beautiful wife and his great son. And, uh, and uh, f for no apparent reason, he says, oh, this isn't a dream. This is a nightmare. And I'm like, no, it seems like you have a pretty nice <laughs> life here, dude. Like, what do you... what? Part of this do you think is nightmarish? Yeah. I mean, had he learned yet that he was a fighter pilot? No. he All he had learned was that it was 1956. And he's like, oh my god, <laughs> what a nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, for a straight white guy. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. What a nightmare. I'm in 1956. Yeah. Wait. Um, and, and just the, there's going to be a boogeyman. Is, is, it, is that supposed to be like that that's how he perceives because he mentioned at one point when he sees Al, like, is that the boogeyman or something? Yeah, he's, uh, like, as soon as he realizes that, okay, so Al Calavici, you don't know his last name yet. Um, <laughs> Knew he was Italian, though. Admiral Admiral Al Calavici uh, appears to Sam in the form of a hologram, and then as soon as uh, uh, Sam realizes that all of the other people around him can't see Al, he goes, oh, we've found our boogeyman. Again, even though Al has been nothing but pleasant to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I, I, I said that because I am Italian. I can spot another Italian from a mile away. But maybe that's why. <laughs> He's just a nice white guy in the 50s. He's like, oh, no, it's an Italian. <laughs> like, maybe that's why. He just had a, a sense about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, again, He's a he's a perfectly nice guy. Like, why do you think you're living in this nightmare where I, this reasonably nice guy keeps showing up? Also, like a nice guy wearing like a beautiful tuxedo, yeah. a, like a giant snow white overcoat. Like uh, Al's costume design in this episode is great. Yeah, maybe he's the liberal elite. Mm. So he's the boogeyman. That's the problem. We need to go back to the days of Eisenhower. Yeah, very interesting. It was also just such a juvenile thing to say. Like, there, there's got to be a boogeyman. <laughs> what? How does that follow? If this is a nightmare, there has to be a monster <laughs> under my bed. <laughs> like, are you okay, Sam? 
He's like, you're, you're definitely putting the worst possible spin on this. Yeah. Like, most people would be like, oh, I'm dreaming that I'm a fighter pilot with a beautiful wife. Like, score. His, his entire interpretation of, of the whole situation mm-hmm. that he finds himself in is hilarious to me. Because on the one hand, he's like, oh, no, this isn't a dream. Or it's a nightmare. And there's a boogeyman. And he's like a little bit panicked, but then he goes about his damn day. Mm-hmm. Like he lets himself get in a plane and sure people are like, are you all right, Tom? What's going you on? You seem different. Yeah. But like, if that were me, I would be like, I'm not going anywhere. Everyone has to understand that I am not Tom. Like yeah. take me to a hospital. I would be like, I would not get in a plane. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the first thing. That's the thing. It's like, he just goes with it. Yeah, Donald P. Belisario, writer of this episode. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Donald P. Belisario of Belisarius Productions. <laughs> this is, by the way, my favorite part of the show. <laughs> is the fact that as soon as it starts, it's like, Quantum Leap by Donald P. Belisario. Like, we should look it up. Maybe he was a big deal back then. I, I don't know, but it's like the, the name is almost as big as the title of the show. Like, yeah. we're supposed to know, like, oh, it's Donald Belisario. Yeah, he's like the dick wolf of 1989. That's right. And then at the end, it's like, a Donald P. Belisario show written by Donald, blah, 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 blah. blah. And then at the end, again, Belisarius production. Which like, is, again, like the most pretentious <laughs> thing. To, like, not only am I going to name my production company after me, but I'm going to Latinize my name. Like Stetsonian. Like I'm fucking, like I'm fucking Copernicus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, calm down, Donald. Um, but anyway, I guess that's um, his way of, like, A, adding tension to the episode. Because, again, like, he wakes up and he's got, like, a perfectly pleasant life. And, uh, it's yeah. like, it seems great. And so, like, if we, we can't go 30 minutes into the episode before something bad starts happening. Well, and yeah, I mean, of course, we can't have a TV show where he just sits down and says, I'm not going anywhere until this yeah. makes sense. But it's, yeah, but you're right. There is, like... Like, either he should be fine with it and go along with the flow, or he should, like, be afraid and panic. But yeah. he, he can't do both. Yeah, it, it was in, it was fascinating to me how he both accepted and rejected his situation so smoothly. Yeah. Um, That's just good writing. <laughs> well done, Belisarius. Don, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then he goes up in a plane. With... Uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but his like co-pilot guy is is one of the leads in Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Okay, so tell me about this movie. Uh, I I haven't watched it in a long time, but I do recommend it because it's just it's just terrible. It, like if if you haven't seen it, it's this a uh, low budget, very low budget horror film that's like not even a B movie. Like, but it's become a cult classic. Um, where yeah, just these alien clowns come down and they have like these stupid guns that it like turns people into popcorn or cotton candy or something, (laughs) something dumb. I don't know. I don't know. But like, so this guy who's the the pilot in this episode. uh, Captain Burdell or Bird Dog? Bird Dog. He's he's like one of the main like cops who's trying to figure out what's going on with these killer clowns from outer space. Mm -hmm. And there's like a girl that he's romantically interested in. And there's another guy who's also interested in the girl in killer clowns from outer space. But it's very, very clear whether or not it's deliberate on the part of the movie or not that bird dog whoever he plays in Killer Clowns, and the other guy. We'll call, the other we'll call cop, him Officer Bird Dog. Yeah, Officer Bird Dog and the other guy are actually in love with each other. If you watch Killer Clowns with that lens, it, it actually becomes quite interesting. I was going to say, is, it, is, that, is that 
I mean, again, artist intent doesn't matter, but is that artist intent or is that just like your experience watching the movie? You know what? I watched it with someone who's like, just watch these two and Mm -hmm. think about that. And I was like, it's very clear to me that's what's going on. What it seems to me is that these two actors were in this terrible movie and were like, how do we make this a bit more better? (laughs) How do we just make this whole thing more interesting and better and intricate? And they were like... You know, when you do an acting exercise, it's like, and just try it where this is your underlying subtext, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's like they tried that to elevate the script. And they didn't tell the director or anything. That's what I like to imagine. That's is that great. The director was like, all right, cut, we're good. Like, yeah. had no idea that there was this subplot with this romance between the two guys. Anyway. That's very good. It's very good. Anyway, so uh, uh, Sam goes up and he's, he's just the co-pilot mm. on this. I, I guess like it seems like they're just kind of rotating jobs, which does not seem like that's how things actually work. But it's like uh, later on, we, like he's the co-pilot today on like Friday. And we find out later that on mon- Monday, he's yes. the one actually doing the dangerous part. Uh, so, yeah, I guess the Air Force just kind of, like, clean cut, clean cut, move down, move down, yeah. and rotates everyone's position. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's just like when you work at, uh, <laughs> I worked at Disney World for, for a few months, and uh, that that's just how it was in the... On the ride I worked at, you just you you change you you switch your shift every every fifteen minutes or something. You actually worked at Disneyland, Disney World. Yeah, I did. Yeah. When? Um, two thousand nine. Oh. About yeah, it was a summer placement, and it was on the Great Movie Ride. That's interesting. Yeah. Wait, you you get a job on a specific ride? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was fun because it had a spiel like you had to you know be on the car and be like, welcome to the great movie ride. But only for 15 minutes. 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So you're either doing that or you're at the front greeting people or you're stuck in the rain managing the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, so he's the co-pilot, but then naturally what happens is uh, Bird Dog decides to go take a leak, leaving Sam to fly the plane. Yes. And this is after he's repeatedly told people, I don't know how to fly. And they're like, ha, you're so funny. Yeah, everybody just thinks he's joking. But I'm like, at the very least, be like, I think my friend is having a stroke or something. Or he's got amnesia. Or something's going on. Why are you just like, oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, for sure. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. He he at first tells... Uh, Weird Ernie? No, he tells uh, uh, Bird Dog while they're driving over to the the base or whatever. And Bird Dog's like, oh, that's a really funny joke. You should call that. You should should try that on Weird Ernie. And he does. And then everyone else in the room is like, oh, yeah, me too. I can't remember stuff too. I forgot where I parked my car. And Weird Ernie's like, well, we'll look into that. Everybody up in the air. (laughs) We'll look into that. It's like, no, maybe, like, if you believe them, then maybe don't fly. Maybe be like... Should we talk about your training? Like, And then also, if you, even if you don't believe them, like, it's the Air Force. Even if you don't believe them, you'll be like, you're kidding, right? This is important you stuff. guys, You guys are joking, right? But no, that does not happen. That's why they call him Weird Ernie. I was going to say, that's another weird thing. Is that, like, they introduce, the, they say, oh, you should try that on Weird Ernie. And then the next scene, we meet Weird Ernie. And he doesn't seem that weird. He's pretty logical. He's pretty standard. And also, they don't actually refer to him by name in that scene. (laughs) So, like, they say Weird Ernie, and then we pan over to this guy. Or not pan over. We cut to this guy. And we just kind of have to assume that that's Weird Ernie. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, you're in a room full of guys who are generally speaking very, um, like, young, trim, just look like your standard dude from the 50s. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this, like, older, paunchier, grumpier guy with a mustache in the corner. I'm like, okay, I'm going to guess that's weirder. Yeah. Just because, you know, one of these things is not like the other. So but he also sure, seems like one. one of the less weird people in the room, as as the other ones are all like, oh, yeah, I don't remember my wife's name. <laughs> They all just call each other like weird Tom, weird <laughs> bird dog. <laughs> so anyway, he's up in the plane. Uh, bird dog goes to take a leak. And then there's this beautiful shot <laughs> as the plane just starts to go to drift. And I think it, all it is is they, they started to tip the camera at a 45 degree angle. But it's just this beautiful drifting <laughs> shot as Sam, you see the back of Sam's head. And he's just like, don't know how to fly. <laughs> all of the technical things about the plane going haywire like when in a second it like starts dipping around and mm -hmm. jerking like we see a a shot of the plane from a distance and it's clearly like how do they do that like a model plane that they just shook around literally but it looks like no plane has ever flown before like it's like they just had a plane dangling like a small toy plane and like shook the diorama it's what oh right yeah. are you, you, are you talking about I mean? the one the, the one later where it crashes or is this in this uh Oh, maybe that is the one I meant. I don't know. The, yeah. the one that is like a distant shot of it, but it starts like, boop, boop, yeah, like yeah, yeah. jerking around in a way that, again, no plane has ever moved before, yeah. even as it's going down. That's, yeah. Um, I think I think that you're talking about the later one where the plane actually crashes, where there's this Air Force pilot. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. No, go for it. There's this Air Force pilot who presumably is very good at his job and he uh and he says oh i'm gonna turn around now and his his uh the guy on the radio goes like no don't turn above mach 2 and he does anyway maybe they all meant it when they all said like i maybe, forget how to fly or maybe that one's weird ernie that's a good point i think that was doug <laughs> doug weird doug <laughs> but yeah i think that's true like that's insane that a he didn't know that off the top of his head and b the guy yelled it to him over the radio and he still was like okay i'll just pull a yui <laughs> yeah sure yeah definitely some holes in these in these pilots um training in general mm -hmm. but yeah that was a very bad effect and it's just like so clearly a, a puppet or or as you say like something locked onto the plane mm -hmm. as they're turning the backdrop behind it very oh. strange oh maybe we can take a second for the music Okay, let's talk about the music. Um, I love it. Yo, it's so good. It's very, like, it started off super jaunty. Um, do, 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 It's just, like, adorable. But then the turns are so fast. Like, it'll be doing it's like, do, 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 Like, when something, I don't even remember what it was, when something bad happens, but you just... Yeah, the turns are so dramatic, but the the overall feel that the music gives me is just, like, adorable. Yeah. It's also one of those great ones where they they wrote the theme song and then just recorded that same melody in a just a bunch of different styles. Oh, like the sexy jazz. Yeah, the sax. sexy jazz one <laughs> um, we're going to come to pretty soon, I think. And, and, yeah, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, you'll just, like, 
realize that almost all of the underscoring in the entire show is just that same melody is over it? and over again. Oh, I need to hear it more because, like, I'm not at the point yet where I recognize the theme, mm-hmm. but I'm going to get there. I'm yeah. Get there. Oh, yeah. It, it will not take you long. <laughs> um, so the next note I have is this really wonderful thing that uh, uh, Sam says to his wife, to, to Peg, Tom Stratton's wife. Yes. Uh, which is when he asks her to dance. After, after the plane crash, uh, they immediately all decide to go dancing at the local bar. Yeah. And uh, Sam asks Peg to dance. Oh, didn't she say something like, even with me looking like this? Like, it wasn't even that, like, I can't because I'm pregnant. It was like, even with me being this big? Like, it was more <laughs> yeah. about the aesthetic. Yeah, he says something about my belly. And yeah. he says, and he says, I can still put my arm around you. Yeah. Or I can still reach my arm around. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that is bananas sexist. Well, yeah, first of all, it's like, we're not sexist, I guess, but just mean. It's kind of mean, yeah. Like, no, don't, don't worry, fatty. I can still, I can still get my I big mean, old arms around. That's you. the great thing is that how how adaptable Sam is is that he's able to like uh, really tap into that weird nineteen fifties misogyny. Oh yeah, he's uncomfortable with everything else. Yeah, <laughs> with the time leap, except for that. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is how people act in the fifth in the yeah in the fifties. Although if Al's interaction with that lady at the beginning in the future is mm-hmm. anything to go by, then we can probably assume that yeah. misogyny has survived in this alternate. Yeah. Well, I guess in our reality too, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but to dial it back for a second, talking about Peggy, before the crash, when it's just the women in the kitchen, which by the way, most footage of most women in this show takes place in the kitchen, I think. Yep. Um, so there's something. There. Great job, Donald P. Belisario. Belisario. But yeah, the women are in the kitchen and it just cuts to them. Like the men are like dealing with this plane going haywire. And then it cuts to ladies in the kitchen and Peggy is just like, which thigh do you think has more stretch marks? The right one or the left one? And they're like, oh, Peggy, like, <laughs> I don't even remember what her friend says, but it's not, you're being ridiculous. Why are you comparing your stretch marks? I believe what the, what the it's not friend says. <laughs> the friend says, I believe this one has fewer stretch marks. And then Peggy goes, oh, really? Because that's the one I've been using. And then they hear a car crash or a, a plane crash. Yeah. Like that's a perfectly legitimate conversation for women to be having is just compare because that's that's what we do in the kitchen especially in the kitchen especially in the kitchen we lift up our skirts and we compare our stretch marks um so that struck me as fun so later when she's like yeah says the thing about what you want to dance with me even like this he's like well i can get my arms around you i'm thinking I'm going to assume that Tom is, like, super abusive because everything that comes out of Peggy's lips is self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Super self-conscious about her body, which is pregnant, by the way. Yeah. And everything she says is about how ashamed she is of how she looks. I know. They, even in the shower scene earlier, the first time yeah. we, we see them in the mirror, she says, you know, most women bloom when they get pregnant and I shrivel. And again, I will mention, this is... Like, probably one of the top ten most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's gorgeous. She's absolutely gorgeous. And she, the whole show, she just spends being like, I'm, I'm a big dump truck. <laughs> like, Peggy, 
Peggy, oh come my God, on. Peggy. It's just Thomas been nagging her for 20 years. <laughs> I literally was like, that has to be what's happened. Yeah. And all her friends, it's probably like a pilot thing because all her friends who are like pilot wives, I think, because mm-hmm. I guess they all live on like they a all military live on the base. base. Yeah. yeah. They're all like totally like, no, Peggy. Well, Peggy, I think that leg's worse than this leg. So I'm like, they're all buying into it. They all think the same way. So they they just live with these horrible men. <laughs> and, and that explains, like, why Sam is so easy to, like, uh, pick up the the misogyny is because with his Swiss cheese memory, he's remembering some of uh, Tom Stratton's uh, uh, character traits. Yeah. And so he's <laughs> really negging his wife hard. Don't worry, you hideous troll. I'll still dance with I'll you. I'll still dance with you. Only for a minute. <laughs> In the uh, in the bar scene, we uh, discover. Well, first of all, we see Al's beautiful white full length uh, kind of felt coat, and I want that coat so bad. Oh, he's like the best dressed man in the world. It's also going to get real crazy in future episodes. Really, he, he's a great dresser. You got anything else in that scene? Oh, and that she's so shocked and pleasantly surprised when he's kind to her. Yeah, that's another fun. And thing. that he knows how to dance. Yeah. Which apparently Tom does not, even though, again, they're doing just TV dancing, which is kind of swaying. Bobbing back and forth. Yeah. Even though, like, again, like, uh, Scott Bakula, I think, is a Broadway guy, or if not a Broadway guy, at least a musical theater guy. So he probably knows how to dance. Well, yeah. But on TV, it's just like, I guess for continuity reasons or whatever, we're just going to bop back <laughs> and forth slowly. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I had for that scene, and I think the next one is in the car. Yeah, they drive back home, and Sam invite, invents the idea of striping roads. Oh, does he? Did you see that? Yeah. I think, oh, I must have been it's looking of, at Dean Stockwell's IMDb page again. <laughs> it was one of those, he, he goes, oh, man, I forgot how hard it was to drive without road striping. And Peg goes, what the hell is road striping? And he goes, oh, well, I was just saying it would be easier to see where the road is if they put stripes down the road. Uh-huh. And so... Again, it's we're kind of in the territory of of um, you know that that whatever it's called Shakespeare paradox or whatever of like if you go back in time and give them an invention that existed in your time and then you're the inventor of that invention, then where did it first come from? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what does that have to do with Shakespeare? Oh, it's this um this brain puzzle. It's like okay, imagine you're a Shakespeare scholar. You love Shakespeare. You know everything about Shakespeare. You uh, and time travel is invented, so you decide you want to go back in time and meet Shakespeare. Uh, you go, you go to you know uh, the 1590s London and start looking around for William Shakespeare. Nobody knows who he is. You go like you know the guy who writes all the plays, and you go around in like the Globe Theater. Um, you know they've never heard of him, and uh, and so you're like, oh well, I don't want to live in a world in which Shakespeare doesn't exist, uh... and you've got all of his plays memorized. So you just write out his plays as you know them, and then they start producing them. So you're Shakespeare, but yeah. then where did you learn those plays from? Like, it's it's just kind of a, a recursive loop that doesn't have an apparent beginning. See, this is the thing about time travel, because <laughs> it's in so many things that I love and know. But, like, once you introduce the notion of time travel, all logic... Yeah, cause and effect doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, which is why the main reason that I'm like, it can never happen and it doesn't exist. And people are like, well, you don't know, maybe. Or like all these movies are telling me, like, maybe it'll happen. And uh, I'm like, it it cannot possibly happen. It's like once J.K. Rowling invented the notion of a time turner, or like like introduced the time turner into 
Uh, that's what it's called, right? Yeah, time turner, yeah. Yeah, once she introduces that concept, it's like you just threw away your whole story. You just threw it in the trash. Yeah, why didn't they use it in every other book? Yeah, yeah, it makes no it makes no sense. Ugh. Anyway, it's just something, it's something that will probably get me mad in this show because I'm like, because the whole thing revolves around time travel. And I'm yeah. not against time travel as a theme, but man, it complicates everything. I don't necessarily think that they kind of go into the paradoxes involved that much. Well, I guess, I guess I'm like, I hope not. Cause once you do, it seems like there's no turning back. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, exactly. Once like Doctor Who does this a little bit where they, they touch on the more logically uh, complex versions of it. And you're like, what? Like, why are you only bringing it up on this one particular episode when it would be in effect at all times? Oh, yeah. No matter what. And then there's like, it's also like, again, with Doctor Who, like they set up rules. There's like, oh, like there are certain points that are fixed in time and you can't do anything about them. And then like a season and a half later, they're like, we're going to change the fixed point. <laughs> like, why yeah. are you even... Well, a show that I think, and this isn't necessarily time travel, but kind of the same shark jumpy kind of thing. But um, like Xena is really bad for this. And we were talking about Xena a bit earlier. So this is why it's in my head. But like they're big when they don't know what to do with an episode, they introduce another twin. Like Xena has like three lookalikes. Gabrielle has three lookalikes. And Joxer has like three brothers. Like he's a quadruplet. Yeah. And... Yeah, so it's like you're telling me that these three people, the core team, Zena, Gabrielle, and Joxer, each have two or three other people existing in the vicinity, not even like in the world, but like in the same country who are identical to them. And It's fate. It's fate. It's fate. Or like one episode, they just say like, you just find out that Ares is her father. And then you're like, spoiler alert. Um, but then you're like, she totally had sex with Ares. You can't do that. You can't do that. But then it's like, well, it's not that kind of father. I'm like, listen, though, <laughs> that's how I feel about time travel. <laughs> if you're not going to like delve into how this works, why did you do it in the first place? You yeah. Ugh. I think that's like kind of um, w one of the things that that Quantum Leap solves that problem by a he doesn't control where he goes, which again, I guess right. is spoilers for later, but like, you know, at the beginning of this episode, he just woke up and found himself in the body of another dude. He didn't choose that. Um, he didn't, he doesn't know who this guy is. And so it's that kind of mucking around with time is kind of taken out of his hands. That's good. Yeah. And when he changes things, it's like not on like a global scale. It's just <laughs> yeah. like, you know, this one, this one event, I'm just going to make, a little bit better. Well, I guess that's something I look forward to the more we watch this show is like learning the rules. Mm -hmm. Cause I think when, when you're right <laughs> as a writer, <laughs> I can say when you establish your own rules and stick within them so that it doesn't go completely haywire, that's good. And that's an important skill that I think JK Rowling does not excel yeah. at. That's, I mean, she breaks her own or she just doesn't set up rules. Yeah. Anything goes in Harry Potter land. For sure. Yeah. And there's no consensus. Like the other thing that everyone always talks about is like, you know, in Harry Potter, like death is final. There's no living after death. Yeah. But then like, what's with all the portraits that still like have consciousness and move around and can actually like go different places? Like. Well, apparently there's a thing. Now we're talking about Harry Potter okay. details. But apparently there's a thing about like. When you die, you can choose to either be a ghost and, like, 
stay in a painting or haunt a hallway or whatever, or you can move on. Like you have a choice given to you. So we're led to believe that every painting in Hogwarts that moves or every ghost, like nearly headless Nick or whatever, that they've all just, they decided that's what they wanted. And that's fine. Like good for them. Um, but they don't stick to that rule because then you're led to believe like, okay, so Sirius Black and Harry's parents and everything decided to move on. And that means it's over. And Dumbledore decided to move on. And then they're like, nothing brings back the dead. But then they all come back as ghosts yeah. to help Harry. And, and they're like, like, just this once, Harry. And also, <laughs> why would anyone choose to just disappear? I would totally pick the ghost option. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Right? Like, I mean, so I know a lot of people are like, no, you know what? I think, like, if you lived forever, you'd get really depressed. And, like, I'm like, well, you know what? No. Like... <laughs> I'd have a good time. Especially, like, if you're, like, the ghost. Lily and James Potter. And it's like, you have an infant son that you're orphaning. Yeah. Like, yeah. why would you choose to just let him, like, go live with the Dursleys? That's right. That's right. They should have been like, I'm going to be a ghost. I'm going to go get Dumbledore. I'm going to tell him to save you. And then I'm going to, like, live with you at Hogwarts. And then I'm going to haunt the fuck out of Voldemort. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to haunt Voldemort. What's he going to do to me? I'm a fucking ghost. That's... An excellent... See, this is what I mean by you gotta stick to your own rules. Ugh. Anyway, I think Don P. Belisario, I, again, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he's pretty conservative with kind of the rules he sets up and Good. like doesn't try to fuck with them too much until maybe the finale. I don't know. Okay, well, we'll find out. Um, But yeah, so they're riding in the car. Yeah. And... uh. Oh, I loved the shot where we pan to the clouds and then this storm's a coming, but this sexy jazz saxophone is playing. Mm -hmm. And then I was even like, I was like, are they going to, are they going to have sex? Like, fuck. is this what this means? And then the next shot, they are in fact waking up in bed together. Yeah. Um, which has its own problems. I mean, ethically, the idea that he's like, well, I guess I have to make love to my wife. But I don't think they did because... Later on, at the very end of the episode, they mm. kiss, and it's clearly the first time they've kissed. So I think that was just... Well, us. I'm not saying that they had to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> but even still, like, yeah. the, the, the sexy cut to the mm -hmm. storms are coming is something I've never seen before. Yeah. Again, I wonder if, if there's something about, like, in 1989, that was not explicitly sexual music. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that was just TV music. Yeah. Yeah. And also, in addition to uh, inventing road striping in that driving scene, he also invents the word nerd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it made me want to look up when the word nerd came into being and why. Or how. I actually think that it is a Dr. Seussism. Oh, yeah, okay. I think that, that that's the right. case. And then it didn't actually come to mean what it means now, which is like a, a smart but kind of socially awkward person. I don't think it meant that until, like... Probably the 70s or 80s. But the interesting thing is, is that Bakula didn't even use it in, like, the right way. I've got it. I've got it actually written down. He says, I'm being a real nerd. Yeah. And what he, the way he's saying it is, like, it should be, like, jerk. Yeah. Or, like, Or, like, weirdo. Asshole, yeah. You know, like, like, I'm, yeah, I'm being mean or I'm being weird. Yeah. But not a nerd. Yeah. Right? And, again, so you're saying it started out as a different meaning anyway. But I don't think Bakula's using either of those meanings. Yeah. Like he's 
inventing a new use for the word nerd. Again, and it's it's just Donald P. Belisario like wanting to put this kind of neologism in the uh, show, but <laughs> not exactly actually right. like like it would have been so much easier if his like his son like. I don't know, like throws a baseball and and uh, does a bad job. And then Scott Bakula goes, ah, oh, get out of here, you nerd. Like, that's, like, where yeah. you could have put that. That's right. Why did you decide to put it in that particular scene? Yeah, it was the wrong word. And the word you should have used, like I said, was jerk, which would have been a good one because that kind of did have a different meaning in the 50s, I did believe. It? Yeah, I think it was more like someone who doesn't have much of a life. Like, like, wouldn't you call someone oh, right. like, like the jerk, uh, like the, uh, like Steve Martin, the Steve Martin movie. Here we go. Steve Martin again. Yeah. Like, like a jerk who, um, flips burgers mm-hmm. would be the, the phrase. Like, I don't want to just end up a jerk flipping burgers, you know? Yeah. That makes sense. Like a soda jerk even. Not that there's anything wrong with, yeah. Soda jerk. That's right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Of. Yeah. I was going to say, not that there's anything wrong with flipping burgers. However you earn an honest living is, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. is good inherently. Yeah. Um, labor is a virtue. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do not think poorly on burger flippers. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, he should have used like, that word, and she'd be like, what do you mean? And that could have been an interesting exchange or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. But yeah, so what they, what they do is uh, instead they use it as a button uh, to the scene where <laughs> uh, he says, like, I'm a real nerd, and then they talk for another like minute, minute and a half, and then right at the very end she goes... What's a nerd? And then they cut to the sexy music in the clouds. Yeah. 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 Again, it's just kind of a ba uh way to end the scene, I guess. I mean, it was more like a... Like, kind of funny, Polisario. Well, my next note is American Harmonica. Mm. Because uh, as he's, we hear his, his narration again, and he's thinking about, like, maybe I could live this life or something or like or he's thinking about his father that's what it yep. is he's like well my father is in indiana blue 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 and talk, all this talk about like a farm in indiana and what year his father was born it's all very americana to me i don't know why like, like well and he's on this military base and and then this uh american harmonica comes in it just felt like a very you ever see a stephen king tv series where they all, like in every Stephen King novel, there's a big I love America moment. Okay. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of The Stand because there are so, that's one of my favorite books. But in the miniseries, they really, of all the things they could have cut, they kept like all of the we love America and this is what America means moments in that novel mm-hmm. and put it in the TV series. And it's always backed up by like a harmonica <laughs> or like a really down-home acoustic guitar sound. Mm-hmm. There's just this sound that, to me, screams, like, America. Yeah, it's, like, freedom, just just know? this side of banjo. That's right. Yeah. It's not quite banjo. It's more like, you know, yeah, it's supposed to, it's deliberately there to tug on your heartstrings yeah. and make you feel, I'm not American, and it's, like, it makes you feel patriotic and, like, oh, this is what America means. Anyway, that was what that was to mm-hmm. me as he remembers his father in Indiana. Yeah, so after he tries to call his dad in Indiana, but then, like, is nearly in tears mm-hmm. because he can't remember his last name or his phone number. Yeah. Yeah, but what were you going to say? What were you going to say? Like, Dad, wait, no. No, um, <laughs> my name's Tom Stratton. I just wanted to say hello. 
How are you? I need you to say something for me, and I can't tell you why, but I just need you to say, I love Sam. (laughs) You're a good boy, Sam. Sam, I'm so proud of you, Sam. (laughs) At the moment, you are one year old. Why do you want me to say I'm proud of them? Because you never said it in real life. <laughs> You're a real nerd, Dad. <laughs> Quit being such a nerd. What's a nerd? No, sorry, I mean a jerk. No, I have a respectable job. I'm a dairy farmer. <laughs> and he just gets increasingly confused. And like, he doesn't know the ways of the world. And Sam <laughs> Sam doesn't know whether he's angry or sad. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you, Dad. I love you so much. I'm not a dad. It's just a self-feeding cycle. <laughs> How's mom? Who? <laughs> I haven't met your mother yet. What? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean by breaking the rules. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It would be pretty great to do, like, a, a sketch of that phone call and have it just... It's like an hour-long sketch. <laughs> it's a feature film. It's a feature film of Sam Beckett trying to call his dad on the phone. It's called "What Do You Mean I'm Your Dad" by Donald P. Bellasario. It's called "My Dinner with with uh, with uh, Tom Stratton." <laughs> oh God! Uh, speaking of dads and sons, I just want to talk about his son Mikey for yeah. a minute. Let's talk about Mikey. Who has the most sincere performance in the show, I think. I think he's got a pretty decent kid actor for this. He just shows up and he's like, are you okay, Dad? Like, are you are you all right? Because his dad's crying. He's like, no, I got a cold. We don't have to go fishing if you don't want, Dad. I'm like, oh, my God. This little kid should have won something for this performance. He's breaking my heart. Yeah. He's also, like, just very, like, what other kid would be like, Oh, you promised we were going to go fishing, but like that's cool. Like that's not a snot at all. That's the abusive backstory of so many grown-up characters. Like that's yeah. the the um, uh, Jason Bateman in America uh, in in Arrested Development is like like always waiting on the sidewalk <laughs> with his fishing pole while his dad like fucks off. Yeah, and then this kid's just like, no, that's fine. I understand. If if you're not feeling well, maybe we shouldn't go fishing. Like, he's the most responsible kid. He's the grown-up in this family, for sure. In this world. Because even when he's like, I'm not feeling well, I don't remember how to fly a plane. All these professionals are like, get in the plane, Dom. (laughs) But he should have just gone to his son who would be like, Dad, if you don't... If you're finding that you're having lapses in your memory, you probably shouldn't fly a plane. Like, like, Mikey is definitely the moral center of this episode. The voice of reason. Like, maybe you should lie down for a little bit until yeah. everything starts to make sense. And then they go fishing. They go fishing. Okay. My big problem with this scene that, uh, and I'll fast forward just a second so you guys know that what happens is Al comes from the future and takes him away to so they can talk privately for a little bit. But it starts out in a river, I think. Sam, a.k.a. Tom, is there with his son, who's got to be like, what do we think, six, seven? Seven, yeah. Okay. Pretty young. He's a smallish kid. And they're standing in the river, which is up to their waist. And they're trying to fish. Sam has no idea how to fish. It's very cute. The little boy's better at him. Or better at fishing than him. And then uh, he's like, 
Uh, I'm gonna be right back, Mikey. Uh, well, just hang out here, bud. <laughs> you just hang out here. And the little kid's like, all right, Dad, no problem. And he walks away to a completely different part of the river where he cannot see his son. And The son cannot hear him having a conversation with Al. Yeah, that's right. So they're out of earshot. Yep. They're out of sight, out of earshot. There's a waterfall pouring behind the little boy, too. So you know that that water is moving. That was also another thing, is that uh, when when they're doing that, when, when uh, Sam is leaving his son, he says, I'm going to go a little farther upstream. Yeah. There's a waterfall there, dude! So... My big problem, the thing that kept me from concentrating on the scene is the fact that I'm like, you left someone else's son, someone else's child, alone in a babbling river. Like, that child could drown at any second, and I just felt like Tom is going to be so mad if you let his son die in the middle of a river. No, but for sure, like, that kid is way too responsible. Like, he's... I mean, like, even if even if somebody comes and abducts him, he'll be like, sir, I uh, would advise you not to... Uh, <laughs> take advantage of this situation at the moment. I'm well-trained in Kung Fu, <laughs> and I uh, propose that you should just leave immediately. I'm a certified lifeguard. I am not personally afraid of of being left alone in the middle of a river, but uh, <laughs> I do have to tell you that as the only adult in this situation, you really shouldn't be leaving me alone right now. Like, it blew my mind that he just left this poor yeah. kid waist deep in moving water. I know, and it, could, like, I, it didn't occur to me at the time. I was just like thinking, wow, that is really irresponsible of him to leave his son there. But I was like, someone else's son. Yeah, exactly. It's not even like, I know my boy can swim. It's like, this is you don't even know this kid. and he's You, you took him out fishing today. Yeah. If you knew you shouldn't, you're not equipped to look after children. Why did you take them to the most dangerous part? Yeah. So oh anyway, God. we get the the conversation between Sam and Al, where Al oh, starts yeah. to say, like, give him a little bit of information, but not really, and say, like, I can't tell you anything because it's classified, which again is very strange because Sam is like part of the project. Are they worried yeah. that are they worried that Tom is gonna remember it? Is it the kind of thing that uh, what's the movie I'm thinking of? There's it's definitely a trope where it's like if we told you then you it would jar your memory so much or something or it would mm. ruin what neurological pathways oh i'm thinking of the cell i think cuz i really like that movie with jennifer lopez and uh, vincent d'onofrio okay it's it's like one of those things where it's like we have this amazing technology where we put this psychologist in this uh suit and she goes into the mind of this murderer who's mentally disturbed and she enters his like dream world so she can find out where the missing girl is and save her because the murderer is in a coma. So the only way to save the girl is to go into his psyche. It's a great movie. This sounds amazing. <laughs> you've you've got to watch The Cell. I'll lend it to you. Okay. Um, but like I could go on about it more, but I won't. Oh, I'm going to focus. But like they keep talking about the rules, right? Like, mm -hmm. like she goes into his mind. She has this chip in her uh, in a pressure point where if she presses it in the dream world, she wakes up in real life, which she has to do if there's any danger imminent in the dream world. Because if you die in the dream world, you your brain convinces life. you. Exactly. Yeah. That's what this felt like to me is like, well, we can't tell him because if if we tell him things he's meant to find out on his own, then it'll just jar him out of, and you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like nonsense it, it, in both cases. Yes, yes. It's like, 
Oh, like, Sam, you created this project. Spoiler alert, Sam created Project Quantum Leap. Oh, that was very, that was made abundantly yeah. clear when he said to Al, oh, didn't you create this project or something? And Al's like, I didn't create it. Sam. <laughs> but meanwhile, like, they can't even tell him his own last name. Yeah. But but then he also starts to spout psychobabble. Uh, Al says... I'm a neurological hologram. And then Sam defines the term. It's like, but that didn't exist in 1956. It's like, yeah, you're getting it, dude. <laughs> like, just tell him his damn last name. Yeah. He's clearly Or at the very least be like, it's time travel. You're from the future. Yeah, if you're going to talk about holograms, you might as well talk about time travel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we're, we're back at home. Or is it, are we back at home? Are we? Yeah, yeah, we're back at home. Oh, where they're having the party. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sam is playing baseball in the back with uh, uh, Mikey. Mikey, who is very bad at throwing. Yeah. He may be good at fishing, but he can't throw. We've learned the thing that Mikey is bad at. Yeah, the only thing. (laughs) Then Sam goes in to talk to his wife, Peggy. Who's in the kitchen. Who's in the kitchen uh, preparing uh, a a picnic meal. (laughs) Sam offers to help, and she says no. He also offers to make a Caesar salad. Yeah, it was... It, it seemed very shoehorned. Like, you know, when uh, when you're, like, watching a bad play someone wrote and they're like, <laughs> like that time I made the salmon? And they all laugh. Yeah. And you're like, well, we have no context for that. Why did you put that in? That but was also, one of those like, moments. it's one of the, it feels like it's supposed to be, like, like, one of his anachronisms. He'll be like, um, I can make a Caesar salad. And she goes, what's a Caesar salad? But, like... It just, it kind of plops there. There's like... Is that like, what she said? No, no. I'm saying that, oh. that it feels like that's what they're setting up. But then, like, why bring up a specific kind of salad? That's right. She was like, no thanks. No like, thank you. And then you're just like, <laughs> why is there this Caesar salad? Like, And I'm like, is the joke that it's easy to make a Caesar salad? Because it's not, unless you're using, like, a pre-made dressing. Yeah. But if you're, like, making an authentic Caesar salad... Like, my dad makes an amazing, authentic Caesar salad. Because he's Italian. Because he's Italian, if I haven't mentioned a few times. Um, but, like, it's it's not, like, that easy to make. So, I'm like, yeah. it's not even a joke. It's not like I can make a can of soup. Ha, ha, ha. And, it's, and also, like, they don't have anchovies, I'm assuming. Like, he can't make the Caesar salad. Yeah, like, come on. It just feels like this this reference that's supposed to mean something, but she's just like... No, thank you. We don't need a Caesar salad. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> we already have one. It's outside. Uh, so he's heading back outside. Oh, wait, no. This they is... They kiss. Wait, they're... before they kiss, they just drop this random thing. Uh, Peg says, you haven't spent this much time with Mikey since he was hit <laughs> by the bus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a <laughs> weird... Piece of backstory. Poor Mikey. We find out was clearly involved in a very substantial accident that I'm assuming must have left some kind of trauma or damage or whatever. Or just matured him beyond his years. Yeah. Otherwise, why bring it up, right? Yeah. But like, oh my God, Mikey. I mean, again, I wonder. I wonder if it'll pay off in part two. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with the actual plot of the episode. Maybe he knows that. Maybe he was like hit by this will be part of my uh predictions for next episode but like maybe he hit his head and now he has like psychic powers so he can see sam so we're talking looper that's uh i didn't see looper oh you didn't it's it's um it's i found it weird do you know the kind of two kinds of magic rule of writing 
Like, you can't have two different kinds of magic in the same piece. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. I don't yeah. think I know that rule, though. Because, and it's it's just weird, because, like, it's a time travel movie, and you're in it for as this kind of science fiction time travel, and then, like, two-thirds of the way through, you're like, oh, also this character has telekinesis. And you're like, no. what the fuck? Everyone else likes that movie, but I was just like, that, that really is weird. Yeah, I mean, because it seems like the thing that Sam is there to do... You know, he's got to put right something that once went wrong. That's oh, the tagline of the show. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. And oh, we haven't even talked about it at all because it's the least interesting part of this show. But it's like all these plane crashes that, you know, like they were had they had the thing about like, oh, the uh, the um, fire light is blinking now and I have to bail out and then the plane crashes. Remember? Right, right, right. Yeah. Like that seems to be the thing that he's supposed to fix. Yeah, it seems important. It seems like that's the most urgent thing going on. So then why drop this thing about his son being hit by a bus at some point in the nondescript past? Maybe uh, he was like, he became evil after it. And he's, oh, he's the one yeah. making the planes crash. Yeah, but his name's Mikey, not Damien, so. All right. I'm always trying to find a way for the <laughs> demonic possession to come into stories, but that's fine. Yeah, no, but I mean, that 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 would be like a, a definitely an interesting... If, you know, uh, he got hit by a bus, uh, got um, magical powers, and was causing all the planes to crash mm-hmm. so that uh, so that his father... Will love him. Because <laughs> he's abusive. <laughs> well, We've he's, already talked maybe, about how his father's the worst. Oh, the, absolutely. And Tom must Real have abusive. been just a terrible oh, person. That, that's another example is that, like, his son is so understanding. He's like, hey, if we don't have to go fishing, if you don't want to... <laughs> You can just stay home. Like, we don't need to, don't take me out of the woods, Dad. Don't, please. He's like, yeah. no, come on, son, let's go. And he's like, no, please don't. You have a cold. I don't want to go. He never wanted to go fishing in the first place. That's why he was already in his fishing gear, too. Not because he was excited, but because he knows what happens if he's late. <laughs> oh, no. So Tom Stratton's a real bastard, is what we've learned. <laughs> we've come to the conclusion. So, yeah, he, he gets magical powers and then causes all these planes to crash so that his father will like so that the air force will shut the project down because none of the planes are crashing while while tom stratton is in them obviously because he's still alive yes so yeah he's just trying to destroy the program but did did he know did mikey know that tom wasn't in the plane maybe he thought he maybe he is trying to kill his dad either or like one (laughs) one way or another he's trying to get his dad not to fly anymore. This is a great show. Yeah, let's do this one. Um, big note I wrote is uh, just I don't know why quit making out with other men's wives. Bac- yeah, Bacula. It's like I I don't know if he's doing it because he's resigned to the fact that this is his life now, so he might as well he's, make love is, with this woman. He is married. Yeah. to her. He's just like this is my wife now. This is my wife. This is mine. There's no ethical dilemma to him. Like it's either that or he feels so bad that she feels rejected. And, like, confused by Mm -hmm. him. Like, that he's, like, play-acting at being her husband just to make her happy. Which is equally unethical. Or, or alternately, like, he... Because, again, we're in the kind of Swiss cheese memory thing. Yeah. Where his memory is kind of overlapping with Tom Stratton's. So when Sam, like, seems to actually fall in love with her and be very attracted to her, like, is he or is Tom... Or are they oh, both? Oh, interesting. Because then, does that relieve the moral quandary there? Maybe a bit. Yeah, because he, he has that whole, when they're in the bar, that, like, inner monologue about, like, she's so beautiful. Like, I am falling in love with her. 
you know? Even at six months. <laughs> Is that what he said? Yeah, in, in the voiceover. I had a note here and I couldn't remember Even. exactly what that... Even at six months, she was still beautiful. Despite the fact that she's carrying my child. Even though she's a human cow. Oh my god. I still <laughs> like, somehow found myself attracted to her. Like he said, this is like a gorgeous woman. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Although uh, I did say that she looks like uh, the love child of of Elizabeth Shue and Parker Posey, which Works. let's be honest, I'm into it. <laughs> I also like I was gonna I, the one that she reminds me of, and again, it's probably the 1950s thing, but she reminds me. It's train, train time. time. That's almost harmony. It's train time. Time for the train. Time to stop recording. Chugga, <laughs> it's um uh partly uh to do with the 1950s thing but she looks a lot to me like um uh marty mcfly's mom in back to the future who yeah um who went on to be in caroline her? in the city i can't remember her name back i'm curious i i only saw that movie once it's a great back movie. to the future i'm told <laughs> i did like it i did like it i'm i'm that wasn't a, a that wasn't a day get back to the future. It's a fine film, guys. Michael J. Fox, keep at it. Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that. She's got a Elizabeth Shoeiness about her. Again, maybe that's just a thing. Like when people are when people in the eighties are casting people from the fifties, they just like go for that look. Yeah. Well, they're like, you know, she's like an all American girl next door, so we need blonde. Yeah, up no, upturned nose. There you go. Yeah, like a little blonde thing. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that's all I see. Apparently, I, I can't I can't describe any other aspect. You got of her face blindness. Delicate features. There you go. Upturned yeah. nose. Delicate features. Or it's also possible because uh, Back to the Future came out in 1985. This is 1989. So maybe they just like on purpose picked an actor who kind of looked like Leah Thompson. Possibly. It's also like that. Maybe that was just like leading lady. Yeah, that's, that's what they all. That's what they all looked like back then. Anyway, going back to the kitchen, the the big cliffhanger of the episode is Sam uh, makes out with uh, Peggy for a minute and then leaves and she puts her fingers to her mouth and looks confused as if to say, he's never kissed like that before. <laughs> Do we think, would that be a tell? Like, what would you think? Like, I'm trying to think, what if my partner kissed me in a way that seemed different? Yeah. How different would it have to be for me to look terrified? <laughs> Do you I know just, what I mean? Like, within reason, unless somebody's, like, really bad at kissing, like, there's not a whole amount of variation. Yeah. Kissing is kind of kissing. Yeah. Yeah. Unless, like, maybe I just haven't had a wide breadth of experience. Well, I mean, I okay, like you said, sometimes there's like an absolutely terrible kiss. Maybe that's it. Maybe Sam is just like horrible. <laughs> Noticeably horrible. Like, like really, really bad at it. And she's like, what the fuck just happened in my mouth? <laughs> Maybe like bit her. That's probably the only possible explanation is that Sam is objectively bad at it. Yeah. Well, I, I accept that. Well, he's a farm boy from Indiana. Like, he's been practicing on cows. Maybe in the future... Kissing is like really different. Maybe in the future, That's kissing true. involves like yeah. sucking in the other person's tongue at like a crazy inhuman speed because now lung power has been improved a bunch. You know, something really strange. But what about if it's the opposite? Maybe because it's this um, 
1950s kind of military wife maybe like all their kisses are very chaste and closed mouth and this is the first time she's ever been kissed like open mouth and she goes that's that's never happened to me before that's a good point because if you think about it probably you're you're right like back in the 50s like kissing even if it was a man and wife who mm-hmm. on tv slept in different beds you know um like it was it was a different time yeah she's she um, learned about kissing from Cary grant movies yeah so it's like mushing your lips against someone's cheek while they face the camera or yeah. whatever um but in the future like obviously things have become more and more risque and like you, we live in this horrible bacchanalian time where you have to keep finding <laughs> new forms of pleasure so like maybe maybe kissing does involve something insane yeah I, well i mean then of course there's his android tongue yes that he definitely has. That's got to be it. It like... It shocks her a little bit. It, it, it sends an electric current, starts vibrating. Yeah, it's still mouth. in beta. Yeah. It's really messed up. And she's she is deeply traumatized in that moment. Anyway, this is, again, a perfect example of... Because, uh, again, it was a feature-length pilot that they cut into two parts. And so this is kind of a cliffhanger, but not really. Yeah. Because he's been telling her all along... I am not Paul Stratton. My name is Sam. I don't belong here. I don't know how to fly a plane. And then she's like, don't be weird the whole time. And then he kisses her and suddenly she's like, oh my God, that's not Tom. Yeah. Like the the cliffhanger is that she's learned new information that she has been having hammered into her head the whole episode. Yeah. So. Uh, We're going to, we're going to more or less let it go there. Um, Follow the pitch off project. It's my fun um, uh, movie pitching podcast where we get two comedians or writers or improvisers in to pitch movies based on a theme, and then uh, we develop those movies, and in the end, a winner is pointlessly declared. (laughs) And you can follow my podcast, which is called On a Dark Cold Night. Um, You can find more information about it at kristensaza.com slash podcast, which is the worst URL for a podcast ever. Um, It's my sleepy time ghost story show. It's uh, an audio drama that's horror fiction, and I like it a lot. It's very good. Oh, thank you. It's one of the, like, few kind of fiction podcast i mean i listen to a couple of fiction podcasts but most of them are just like i wrote a short story and now i'm gonna read it as an audiobook and it's one of the few that i actually like will follow and 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 keep up with i also <laughs> used to have a fiction podcast did you did you not know this do tank chesterfield's mystery oh, yes, theater yes, yes. there's an old radio yeah while we're plugging stuff go back and listen to the 2015 podcast, Duo Tank Chesterfield's Mystery Theater, which is radio mystery dramas. Yeah. Yeah. And the Pitch Off Project is, I, I, have, I have to listen to Duo Tank Chesterfield's Mystery Theater. Duo Tank Chesterfield's Mystery Theater. Yes. Um, so I won't speak to that yet because I'm an honest person, but I'm sure it's great. Um, but the Pitch Off Project is also awesome. <laughs> so before we wrap up uh, this episode, what do you think is going to happen next time on Quantum Leap? I mean, I already talked a little bit of a few <laughs> about a few of my predictions. Um, largely that we're going to find out that Mikey's accident with the bus. <laughs> First of all, it's the fact that he got hit by a bus. Like, that's a big-ass vehicle. 
Like yeah, and he's a he's little old. boy. Yeah, it's not like he got hit by a car. He got hit by a motorcycle. Like he got hit by a bus. And also, like he seems to be in perfect health now, which means like it's been a few years. Like say, like he was four when he was hit by this bus. Like for sure. Does the wife ever interact with Mikey? I've only seen Sam interact with Mikey. So maybe, okay, here's my prediction. Mikey's a ghost. <laughs> it's a reverse sixth sense. Oh, that's not true. She did say something about you haven't spent much time with him. Oh, of course. Since, okay. Yeah. Never. Well, I mean, you haven't visited his grave. <laughs> Neither of you. Okay. No, I stand by it. I stand by it. Mikey's a ghost. And uh, he's he's poltergeisting the planes into crashing. Um which is very exciting for me as someone who loves supernatural horror. I'm very excited for episode two. Um, I, I think there has to be some kind of correlation between Mikey's accident and the planes crashing. So for me, that's the most logical explanation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, obviously what else is going um, <laughs> to happen for serious now? Um, Sam is going to remember who he is and obviously go back to his present time or, you know, Wait a minute. Monday has to come around, and he's going to have to fly the plane. He's going to have to fly the plane to Mach 3 or whatever. Right. And Al's going to come and help him fly the plane. Yeah. Uh, everything will be fine. He'll somehow avert a big disaster that was going to... Like, the plane was going to crash because Mikey was poltergeisting it. But he... um. He stopped that from happening. Oh my god, that would be such a great scene if, like... He exercises Sam, the ghost of Mikey. Sam is flying the plane, and Mikey shows up and starts fucking with the shit. And uh, Sam then has to kind of, like, talk Mikey down. And so, like, no, I really do love you, son. I really... Um, I'm sorry for all those times <laughs> I was mean to you and your mother. He'll be like... He'll be like, I never meant for that bus to hit you. And Mikey will be like, you threw me in front of the bus. You were driving the bus, Dad. <laughs> he has to atone for the sins of Tom. And how do you think uh, the uh, his, his wife uh, with the kiss and realizing that he's not Tom, how do you think that's going to play out? I think she's going to keep it to herself because... She hated Tom so much the way he used to be. And she just hopes that Sam's going to stick around. She's just happy that things are different. So she's just going to be okay with it. Yeah, he, he looks just like my husband, but he doesn't hit me. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> what, this is going to pay out somehow? Oh, her having a husband who doesn't punch her is like <laughs> winning <laughs> That's the lottery. Money. But but, but also think like she could like if if his plane crashes she could just cash in his life insurance and move to Florida. So we think that maybe Sam is going to kill Tom and save this family. What a great episode of Quantum Leap where they decide the best course of action is for him to commit suicide. The only way for him to save this family, this poor family, is to just sacrifice himself. Crash the plane. Yeah. Mm. I love this episode. I can't wait until it's next week. really dark. <laughs> this is excellent. Yeah, do we have yeah. a sign-off or anything? Oh, how about just like, we'll be back next week. Oh, boy! <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but we got to say, oh, boy, at the same time. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we have today. <laughs> we will be back next week. Oh, oh boy! boy!